Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the newly dubbed When You Wish Upon a Podcast. As always, I am your host, Caleb Plum, with my partner, Parker Talbot. Parker, how's it going? It is going good. It's going good. And I, I'm excited to talk about uh, the movie we're talking about today. It was one I hadn't seen in a long time, and it's, I, I feel like it was a blast. It's a very fun movie. So, I was pleasantly surprised. I always I always remember this movie as being very slow, but I was pleasantly surprised. Pleasantly surprised. Uh, yeah, what else have you been up to this weekend? Have you seen any good movies this weekend? Oh, I haven't. Um, I'm trying to think. Well, let's see. I, I watched you know, uh, my wife and I, Marina and I, were looking on the, the we're on Netflix, I think, and I, I watched The Lord Act for the first time, which I wasn't too thrilled about. It was okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I uh, I highly I highly recommend if you're gonna go down the computer animated Dr. Seuss route, highly recommend Horton Here's a Who with Jim Carrey and Steve Carell. I think that's a very underrated, witty, funny, clever movie. Uh, the Lorax, beyond being heavy handed, and the book's heavy handed too, so I'm okay with that. I, mean, I get that the whole you know the whole it's a heavy handed story, but it just wasn't funny. It wasn't clever. It wasn't witty. It just lacked it lacked charm. So anyway. That that's the movie I watched this weekend. So crazy. Me and me and the wife went in, in IMAX saw Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, that's the movie. If you can see it in IMAX, see it in IMAX, dude. It literally like there was a couple points where my poor poor Larissa like almost jumped out of her seat because she thought like she was <laughs> gonna get hit by a piece of debris or something. Oh, we dude. were so close to the screen. Yeah, it's so good. Oh, that's awesome. I've heard good things. I've heard really good things. Um, yeah. So. We're going to go see Mortal Kombat tonight, so I'll have to tell you how that is. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But we're not talking about blood and gore. Today we are talking about <laughs> Atlantis, the Lost Empire, Disney's take what? on Indiana Jones and the action genre. <laughs> Very much, very much. I, I, uh, yeah, and I was, you know, I remember watching the trailer for this for the first time. My, my, uh, you know, it came out in 2001, so I would have been about nine. And I remember my brother showed me the trailer, and we just thought it looked so, so cool. Um, and, uh, and then I vaguely remember seeing it in, in theaters for the first time, and, uh, it's it's a fun one. It's a fun one, and it comes at an at an interesting stage in Disney animation. It's after, technically after the Disney Renaissance, but boy, I think they could have done some cool things. They kept going in this direction, and computer animation just you know CGI kind of killed that. But uh, we'll talk about that more. But yeah, that's that's my memories, early memories of Atlantis. And it's funny you bring up the trailer because that seems to be like whenever I talk about this movie, especially when I was younger. That's what most people remember. They remember that first trailer of the movie and how that was so, it looked amazing. Like that, the animation was gorgeous. The staging, if I recall correctly, you're, um, we probably saw the same trailer, the one where she, it shows Kido walking up to the gym and being like, you know, rising up to become the new mm-hmm. protector of Atlantis and John, uh-huh. like that is full of mystery. And I, uh, that's exactly what I recall when I was a kid was I always saw that trailer. I, unfortunately, I didn't see this one in theaters. I wasn't a big theater goer as a child. I think the first Disney movie I saw in theaters was either Tarzan or Treasure Planet. 
Okay. Which I know is okay. right around Atlantis, but I must have skipped Atlantis. Yeah. I saw it on video later. And okay. I, I remember as a kid not enjoying it, but this last watch, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, but yeah. How about I, you get it, start, get it started with the beginning of the of the film, and we'll just walk through it real quickly. Absolutely, yeah. So the beginning of the film uh, starts out. Uh, first of all, I love the way they do the the Disney logo because it's not your traditional white castle blue background. It's like etched in stone coolness. It's really cool. Anyway, so but and then you start out with a quote from Plato. I don't remember exactly what it is, but some fond lines of and one day the island vanished or something like that. So like ooh, and then it start it starts right off the bat. I mean, the very first scene you've got these giant waves coming to attack the city. You you've got these uh, gorgeously animated half CGI ships flying into the city to warn people, uh, and then you see uh, little girl Kita and uh, her you know her mom is trying to her mom the queen is trying to you know help her to safety, but then this, uh, the mom had a little gemstone around her neck. Her her father, Liam Neeson. (laughs) Oh, is that Liam Neeson? Dang, that's awesome. Yep, her her dad, Liam Neeson. Oh, that's fantastic. Fantastic. So, yeah, so dad, Liam Neeson, and uh, they're trying to get her to safety, and then mom, her gemstone, she has a gemstone around her neck, but then it, like, lifts, and you see, like, a light in the sky kind of connects with the gemstone, and then kind of be, start, like, for lack of a better term, beaming uh, Kita's mom up. And, uh, and you know, Kita's like four, so she don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on either. We don't quite know why this is happening. And uh, that, That's what I thought. Like, I'm like, where's the story about what happened? Because it seemed like they were doing, like, an experiment or something, and it blew yeah. up. And it really, not to go deep, but it reminds me of the, you know, there's that theory that, you know, mankind, like we're in a loop and that mankind has, has existed before and we got to a point where we created a black hole and we restarted our universe accidentally and we're proceeding to the point where, oh, we may be able to create another black hole that will eliminate life and restart it. I've never heard that theory, that kind of is mind-blowing. <laughs> Yeah, that, but that's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of, like, man, like, what if, like, Atlantis hasn't has sunk before? I don't know. That's just – I listen to Joe Rogan. Yeah, but it, yeah, I mean, in either case, it definitely, yeah, the, the beginning, like, kind of puts your mind, like, to some wonder, like, what the heck is happening here? And long story short, if I remember – yeah, so she gets teamed up. Kita's like, Mom, you know, oh, no. And then you, you – I, I didn't know since the first time you watched it, but you kind of see some, like – what what end up becoming almost like shields to the city, you kind of see those kind of go over the city, but not in full, I think. They're just trying to like, give you kind of like a little teaser there of what we find out later. Anyway, and then the city is sunk into the sea, um, and that's like the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah, it and, starts off with a it – does, it holds no bars at the beginning. It starts off with so, a bang. Yeah, oh, which I, I find I find funny a lot. If you watch, there's a lot of Disney movies, especially in this era, that do that. Like it reminds me a lot of the Tarzan, like the beginning of Tarzan, how it right away starts off with like the ship burning and they're trying to escape and stuff. Agreed, agreed. I feel like that's I think it's pretty common in a lot of these uh, '90s and early thousands 
uh, Disney movies because Treasure Planet kind of starts out like that. Uh, even um, like even Pocahontas to an extent, though not as well, but they you know, they get on the ship and have a storm. Aladdin with trying to get the uh, the lamp. Yeah, I never thought about that way, but yeah, they, they start off right with the punch. And uh, so that happened. Let's see, City Sunk. And then we fast forward however many, you know, thousand years, I don't know. And you get to 19, what do they say, 19, I think 1914, 1915, somewhere around there. Uh, United yeah, but States. It's, the, it's the same, I think it's 1914 because it's the same year that World War One starts. Okay, 1914, okay. And uh, we, we get on, we get to Milo Thatch, who uh, is a, uh, in charge of the linguistics department uh, at a university, but his office and everything is in the boiler room, and he, he helps work on the boiler room as well, so he's not really well respected. Um, kind of known for being kind of a nut job or a crackpot. And we start out with him giving a uh, practice lecture to people to try to get funding for his venture to find Atlantis. Yeah, I really enjoy, and this is, it's Michael J. Fox providing the voice. And I, like, I, I think I always, you know, we always, whenever we think of Michael J. Fox, we think of, you know, Back to the Future. We think of um, oh, what's that TV show he does? Oh, Family Ties. Family Ties. Family Ties. Yeah, we think of Family Ties. Maybe some think of Team Wolf, but like Michael J. Fox has had his fingers in a lot of Disney projects. Just a reminder of some, like you know, Michael J. Fox is the voice of Stuart Little in the Stuart Little movie, which is a Disney movie. And he's also he's got another voice in a Disney movie. Oh, and he's uh he's the dog in the Homeward Bound movies. He is. I forgot about that. He's Chance. I forgot about that. Yep. So yep, he's Chance yeah. in Homeward Bound. So this is. I think it's great that you know he has contributed his voice acting to a lot of Disney projects, and now he this is kind of his. You know, he's got the lead. He's the magnum opus. It's his magnum opus when it comes to Disney. Yeah, and I think absolutely. his. I think his performance here very well matches the character. Like, and he's and I love this animation style because it it's still in that time where you can tell the characters are all hand drawn. Mm-hmm. That's something oh, I very I, appreciate because they look they look enough like humans without being too cartoony, but like you can still understand like that they're humans. Absolutely. Absolutely, and you can tell that whoever drew them was not just going with generic. Like they, they, they had their own distinct style, and they were trying to get that across. And I, I love it. The animation is is is, is spectacular. Um, and uh, but I will I, say that's also a negative because it is very weird to see Milo standing next to Kia as she is like drawn like hyper. You know, she's very hyper realistic. She's very feminine and curvy drawn. And then you have Milo, who looks like a flippin' Looney Tune. <laughs> yeah, I guess I never thought about it that way. <laughs> but, Which, um, to our to our audiences, I already teased Parker about this, but if you ever want to know what Parker looked like, it's it's Milo from from Atlantis. <laughs> Maybe a fair. little shorter. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> There and maybe a bit heavier nowadays um, than you than you saw me. Uh, don't don't worry if you're if you're Milo, I'm totally Ratcliffe from Pocahontas, so you don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> so anyway, so we see Milo giving his lecture uh, in front of nobody, but practicing it. Um, but then what happens is he gets a uh, kind of a telegram 
or whatever from the department he's supposed to present to saying, sorry, your, um, well, no, for, well, first it says your presentation has been moved up to, I think like four, like four o'clock. And he looks at the clock and it's 4.30. So they intentionally sent him that after the fact. And then he gets another message and it says, you know, because you didn't show up for your own presentation, we won't be funding the project. And so he knows this is just their bogus way of not wanting to listen to him. And uh, he tries to talk to him for a bit, and they just all think he's a crackpot nut job like his father, who also tried to uh, prop, uh, uh, promulgate the Atlantis theory. So Milo then makes his way home. Which he, he starts because of his his a, his adventure-loving grandfather. Yes. Was it grandfather or is it his un- great-uncle? Oh, you're right. no, you're right. It's his grandfather. I said father, didn't I? It's his grandfather. Yeah. 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 And then speaking of General Ratcliffe, a little trivia. So uh, David Ogden Steers, who is yeah. probably most known for acting on MASH, he yeah. plays one of the uh, museum executives that turns down he, Milo. He does. I, I, I and, that when speaking. I'm like, dang, that's, yeah. yeah. Yep, and he's also, he's also well known for playing Cogsworth in almost all incarnations of the Beauty and the Beast. He plays the Boiler Man in Spirited Away, Governor Radcliffe in Pocahontas, and he's also the voice of uh, Jimbo in the Lilo and Stitch movie and TV series. He's a fantastic so voice actor. He very well is, and ironically enough, he also went on to play in Stargate Atlantis. <laughs> oh, nice. I didn't know that one. That's funny. Yep. So <laughs> it's like it matches. He, he, he just, he's got his fingers, you know, Knuckles deep into Atlantis. So, dang, dang. so they turn they turn down Milo, and he gets a te- he gets another telegram from a friend of his grandfather's, and he goes to find this rich old guy, and it turns out that Milo's theory was correct, and they found a special book that led them to the lost city of Atlantis uh, in Iceland, and this guy is going to fund the project so that he can win or lose a bet that he made? Yeah, I think he yeah, I think he uh he made a bet. Well, no, I think he made a bet with that's what it was. He made a bet with his grandfather because he, he knew Milo's grandfather. So he made a bet with him that if he found this book called The Shepherd's Journal, he found that it actually existed that he would fund a project for him. And he found the book and then now he contacted Milo to to finish his end of the bargain pretty much saying, "Okay, yeah. I'm going to fund this project now." So we um so by the way, sad back backtrack a bit. The sad thing about David Ogden Sears, I don't know if you knew this, but he passed away a couple of years ago. Just FYI. So oh. that's his soul. Yeah, he was like, yeah, the, the the Mash cast man, they're dying off. I don't know how how long Alan Aldo's gonna last, but this thing. Sorry, side note. But yeah, he passed away and uh um, I think relatively young compared to the rest of the Mash cast. But anyway, uh so Milo then yeah, could, on this trip, um, which introduces something. the ne- my probably my favorite part of the movie, which is the steampunk of it, where we get introduced to the the submarine and just the look. And I I love the design, very twenty thousand leagues under the sea meets mm-hmm. you know steampunk. And my only regret is that we, we it just seems like we don't get to spend that much time on the on the big submarine. Because I That's think they true. wanted to focus more on them getting to Atlantis. That's true. I didn't and think about that. Yeah, we, no. 
yeah, and then we get introduced to a whole slew of characters that we, you know, you just kind of remember what they do rather than who they are. You know, there's the bomb dude, there's the doctor, there's the young engineer, the radio girl, Cookie, who's the only one I know his name, which because he's the lard <laughs> dude. Yeah, no, there's. That's... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say then there's. Mr. and Mrs., we're obviously the bad guys, the the captain <laughs> and the blonde eye lady. It's like, yeah, these guys are clearly not bad guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's true. They, but I will say, you know, that actually, that, that, that that's one of my favorite parts of this movie. I'm going to say one, one thing I love about Atlantis is the characterizations. Atlantis has fantastic characters, and a lot of them, too. That's what I like about it is, you know, I think a lot of Disney animated movies that have excellent characters. Um, I think definitely older ones have like three or four main characters at most, and they're and they're great. This one has like seven, I feel like seven or eight, and they're all fantastic. There's not a single character that I feel like I'm like, eh, I don't really know who they are. I really don't know what their purpose is. Like, all their characters are just spot on. You know who they are. You know what they're there for. They're funny. They're witty. Um, I think a lot of the characters bring in some really great writing to the movie. I will say too, I love the writing because only it's exciting and fun. But it, it's funny. Like, it's actually really – I got a lot of good laughs out of this movie, too. Um, and, it's, yeah. and it's also progressive because this is the one of the first Disney films to feature an African-American character as a sec, as an important secondary character. With it. And not only is he important, but he's also a doctor. So, you know, think yeah. about it. It's the 19, 1914. You have an African-American doctor on a ship with a bunch of other white people. And then there's also an, a younger – you know, African American engineer girl, and she's she's probably one of my favorite of the secondary characters. I forget her name. Oh, it's Audrey. Audrey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. love her. I love the doctor. I don't like the mole man. I don't like mole. <laughs> I think he was annoying. He is. He is kind of annoying. He's funny to an extent, but yeah, he is kind of annoying. But that's you know, that's another fun thing too. Like about this movie. Now that you bring that up, is I think it brings in a lot of. Uh, historical aspect in the sense that you know since early 1900s i still think you know it's a time when still you have a, a lot of um you know immigrants from everywhere coming into the united states and so you have the, the bomb guy i think is supposed to be of, a, of italian descent um and you know you already talked about dr sweet and audrey uh mole is short for moliere so he's supposed to be or molier so he's supposed to be french uh in the movie and and so they just have this great um yeah, this great cast that's diverse and they're funny and they're well written. Mole is a bit annoying, I agree, but uh, I I just think, yeah, once again, the characters in this movie I think are are wonderful. Um, and while you know you do say that you have uh, oh, what's his name, Rourke is the the older guy, the main bad guy, and then oh, I can't remember the the woman's name either, uh, the blonde chick, but the uh, the uh, oh I can't remember her name. The point is, is while you do say you know that it's kind of obvious they're going to become bad. I think as adults, we can see that. But as a kid, I think they did a good job. As a kid, you don't see that coming. At least I didn't. When I found out they were bad, I was like, what? I thought if you put if you put Rourke in yellow and gave him a mustache, he would look exactly like Kurt, uh, like Clayton from Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> good point. They just all have that look. They do. So they, they do. set off with this team of characters on their awesome, badass, you know, steampunk ship and uh, trivia 
when they start to die, when they when the submarine starts to go down, they say dive, dive, five degrees down bubble. That is a recording from an old Disneyland submarine ride. They took the exact same recording that played on that ride and put it in the movie. Oh, really? Yep. And the, and the projection after they tell after the meeting after Milo's little botch meeting about where they're going. They put in coordinates, and those are the same coordinates that uh, were listed on Hunt for Red October. Really? So I, I really appreciate all the the tiebacks to other to other projects. I think that's fantastic, and I, I just say too, we talk about them diving. Um, let's just say that you know that some the, the when they die, that's when we hear like the Atlantis theme for the first time, and the music to this movie I think is another awesome highlight of it. It's uh, James Newton Howard. He's the same uh, composer who did uh, Treasure Planet. He did the 2003 uh, Peter Pan with Jason Isaacs. Um, he did. He helped Hans Zimmer with Batman Begins. So he's a, you know, a very a dinosaur. That's another one. He's a very accomplished composer. Has a helped on a lot of Disney pro- projects. Um, and uh, hey, the music is another great reason for this movie. Is it? It's just. To me, it's fantastic. I think the music is, is phenomenal. So, the thing the thing that really surprises me is that you always forget that Jason Isaac was in a Peter Pan movie. Damn. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. He uh, he's good at playing bad guys. He's Captain Hook and Peter Pan, and of course he's Lucius Malfoy. He just has the right the right look and sound for it. Yeah, and then we get uh, so they're going down to Atlantis. They're entering the tunnel. We get amazing underwater artwork. I think this is where a good example of when the CGI really shines through, when we see the Lothiathan come and attack the sub. It, I think it really, it really shows that, you know, CGI, there is a place in CGI in animation. Do I think it should completely have replaced hand-drawn animation? Absolutely not. But it just, it really shows, it gives the Leviathan the look of smoothness as it was swimming in the water, especially in the scene where it's underneath the sub. And mm-hmm. it's just, it, it, it reminds me of the, the T-Rex scene in Jurassic Park. Like, the suspense mm-hmm. and the action is just on point in that scene. Agreed. Agreed. I I think that's, um, I love that. And I think... Uh... What was I gonna say? Oh, CGI, yeah, and that's that's so great. I think about this movie about Treasure Planet, even some Disney movies before you know before this, whether it's Tarzan or uh, even Beauty and the Beast or others that u- utilize some CGI. I think the best the best world is when it's both CGI and animation combined to complement each other. Um, and I yeah I think these last movies that kind of closed off this era of Disney hand drawn animation demonstrate that so well particularly this one in treasure planet um yeah it, it just so. it's just upsetting that they didn't do as well and now we pretty much yeah you know we you know hand-drawn disney animation is a thing of the past unless it's like a gimmick like enchanted or whatnot yeah exactly and they tried to bring it back with princess and the frog which i thought was a very good movie i actually really enjoyed it but it just didn't didn't take off so but anyway, that, that'll be uh, a, that'll be a good episode because I have a lot of feelings about Princess and the Frog. <laughs> I mean, I I personally love that movie, but I, I I just think they did a really good job with it and super unique yeah. uh, t- 
tape. But anyway, yeah, we can go on that later. But point is, is yeah. the Leviathan uh, attack kills off a good chunk of the country. A lot of people, a lot of people die. Yeah, it was true. Like, I think this may, not counting main characters, this may be, like, one of the highest kill counts in a Disney movie. <laughs> I think so. I think so. So, Leviathan, yeah, chase them. They finally, you know, they finally get away, find their way up to this um, giant air bubble, pretty much. That's so now they're pretty much underground, below sea level. And now... Yeah, air pocket, you mean? <laughs> yeah, air pocket, thank you. So, yeah, uh, yeah this, this giant air pocket. So now they're trying to find Atlantis, but they're not underwater anymore. Uh, and they're still depending on Milo to use the, the Shepherd's Journal, the book, to find Atlantis. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of good character scenes, a lot of good funny scenes along the way in that in that segment. Uh, there's a big fire bug that yep. like a massive fire in that segment. Um, and I, and I always enjoy the scenes, these scenes because it shows them very organically getting used to Milo and accepting yes. it. You know, they 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 did do that whole kind of starting out as jerks, but it's through this it's through this trip to this tunnel that they start getting closer to Milo and realizing how he's a he's an asset rather than just an annoying scientist. Yeah, and I love it too because again, I said the humor just—I mean, the humor is so witty. This movie isn't a comedy, but that's why I love it—is it has little funny moments, and I think a lot of those funny moments are in this segment as well. Uh, so, um, but eventually, after the uh, the the giant fire and all that, they finally make their way uh, into Atlantis, uh, and. From there, I can't remember they get they. I can't remember how they get. They 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 get get found. They don't find Atlantis. They get found by the Atlanteans, right? Who are wearing these gnarly, huge masks that literally take up their entire body. Right, which is pretty cool. That's what it was. Yes. So, and we're introduced to Kia as a grown-up. Who Kia had grown up into. Let me look her up. Uh, I know her name, Creed Summer, who Creed Summer, we, you'll most likely recognize her from, uh, she plays the voice of number five in Codename Kids Next Door. She's Angela Angelica in Rugrats. So she, oh, she has a pretty good repertoire of voice acting under her belt. And in an interview, I saw actually this was her favorite project she did. Really? Yeah, very surprisingly, because she was in, she's in a whole bunch of you know very well known animation animation, and she was you know as told by Ginger. Uh, she was in Clifford, you know, she played uh, the little girl in Clifford the Red Big Red Dog. So she's in a lot of animation stuff, yeah. And she said, in an I found an interview that says she this was her favorite favorite work, and she just loved the character of Kita, how she's wide-eyed and very open, but also very protective of her culture, especially yeah. when your father is Liam Neeson. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, With, speaking of Liam Neeson, so the they speak, it's very cool, so they have their own language, they have an Atlantean language, and that language was created by a guy named Mark Oakride, 
and he also created the Vulcan and Klingon languages for the Star Trek franchise. Really? Yep. So he created the language, and then Leon, Le, Le, uh, Leonard Nimoy is in the movie as Keita's father. So just just how in Black Cauldron it was all about Lord of the Rings, now it's all about Star Trek, apparently. Star Trek. Wait, so I thought you said, yep. to be clear, I thought you said, so Leonard, Nim, uh, Leonard Nimoy is her father, not Liam Neeson? Do I keep saying Liam Neeson? Tag gum it. Yeah, you said it Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I'm a podcaster. <laughs> okay, it's okay, Leonard so, Nimoy, not Liam Neeson. I'm thinking uh, Liam Neeson because he's in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, okay. Gotcha, so. Okay, but that's interesting. That. So Spock is Atlantis is king. Okay. Um, Spock is Atlantis is king, yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't think he, Liam Neeson's ever been in a Disney movie. Oh, no, he, I'm trying to... Okay, watch Star Wars before. I feel like he has as a voice actor or something... Maybe he hasn't. I feel like he has those a voice actor. I'll look that up. But um, I feel like he has. I mean, he was Aslan in the Narnia films, so maybe. Narnia. <laughs> yeah, he was a he was Aslan. That's a real. He's in Narnia. So. Yeah. Anyway. yeah, but Leonard Nimoy, Leonard Nimoy, dad, kind of a jerk, and he tells them, you know, you guys gotta go. He he's like, I know these two right here. This this big bulky guy and the blonde girl, they're bad. I don't want them in my town. You see, he gets it. He He's able to identify that, hey, these guys are bad guys. These guys are not here to be friends. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, Go ahead. Yeah, and they get to stay, they get to stay like one night just to refresh and in the morning they gotta go. And so we're gonna get our 24-hour uh, romance between Milo and Keto, which <laughs> Surprisingly, though, they're one of the first Disney couples that don't kiss on screen. I forgot they don't, don't they? Yeah. No, they don't. It it, it kind of reminds me of Pacific Rim, how, like, at the end, you're like, oh, they're going to kiss, and then they don't kiss at the end of Pacific Rim, and it's like, oh, that's kind of weird. I actually never saw that one, so I need to. But... <sighs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, yeah, so... They... And he's helping her find her lost culture because he can understand the Atlantean language, which has been lost to the people. Mm-hmm. And there's a great scene of them flying around looking at statues and stuff. And while they're off frolicking, bad stuff happens and they come back. And surprisingly enough, the two that you didn't think were the bad guys at all turn out to be bad guys. Yep, absolutely. And they just want that? greed and gold. Yep. And because there's a funny scene there. I feel like, I mean, it's cool, but it's like kind of random. But there's a scene, if I remember correctly, where Keita and Ryan go off, you know, trying to discover stuff. And it's like literally, I swear it's like a 10-second scene where the, pe- the, the, the the bad guy's minions are always wearing gas masks for some reason. There's no apparent reason. It just looks cool and looks bad. So these guys in gas masks <laughs> open, open, like, the trunk to, like, their truck and pull out this wooden box. And lift up the, you know, the lift the lid off the crate, and it's like guns inside, and they cock one of the guns, and that's it. It's like a ten-second scene, and they go, "Ooh, something's happening." <laughs> it's just kind of this cool, but kind of pointless scene, and there's no reason why they get gas masks other than just it looks cool. <laughs> there's, no, there's no practical reason why all these bad guys are wearing gas masks, but uh, they're just his minions, so I guess it doesn't really really matter. But I think it's kind of funny. But um, it's like, well, why are all these guns and gas masks? It's like, what? Yeah. Who's got guns and gas masks, man? You're crazy. <laughs> exactly. 
So, yeah, he comes back and he's, uh, he finds out that, yeah, Kida and Milo come back and they find out these people are bad the whole time, just wanted money, all of that stuff. Um, and then they make Kida take them to this giant crystal that's like floating and it's the heart of Atlantis. Milo was able to find out. It's like what's keeping Atlantis alive. And they want, of course, her to, to, to I think, you know, tell them how to get it because they think it's just a big jewel, a big prize. And then that's where the story gets a bit complicated. I mean, good, but it's complicated where Akita gets kind of beamed up and she gets kind of crystallized, I guess. Comes back down, but she's like this blue crystallized figure. Um, and so then the bad guys take her and they're going to take her and all the other treasure home. Um, but then my think, Oh, go ahead. I think at this point in the film is when I was very like questioning. Yes. Like, like who was aware of this plan? Cause like the, you talk to some of the, like who trust who would trust Cookie with this plan of pretty much eliminating an entire lost <laughs> civilization of people? <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> good point. Good point. Well, I think initially they thought everyone was going to be dead. They thought they really were just going to get treasure and go home. And I think that's what makes the difference. Is then Milo convinces everyone except for Rourke and uh, the blonde woman. I can never, can't remember her name for the life of me. Yeah, convinces everyone that this is wrong, guys. We shouldn't be doing this uh, because not, you know, it's not about money anymore. Like these are these people's livelihood. We take this away, they they will die. Because um, I believe that's usually, what it is. Usually, the best line in the movie is, you know, hey, yeah, we 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 did some bad things, but nobody got hurt. Well, maybe some people got hurt, but nobody we knew. Yeah, exactly. And so. They uh so he, you know, Milo convinces all the crew to stay except for Rourke and and uh, the blonde woman and the gas mask people, um, and they take Kida with them. Now Kida being crystallized, I think the power of the crystal is now in her, so she is the life source at this point for Atlantis. So she leaves Atlantis will die pretty much. So they take her away, and Milo's feeling like a fool, um, and then. Uh, something we something we skipped was Milo was able to help Kida recall how to use their technology, and they got yeah. these cool flying fish vehicles. Yes, uh, that's true. Um, so yeah, so they I wonder if it's like if they run on the thing of like, tell are they telepath telepathic or I wonder really how realistically they're running these vehicles. It's very it's very interesting, very interesting. It's true. I think it's just something to do with the crystal. It's all the crystal power, but they have to put their crystals into the ignition, so to speak, to get them to run. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But so, yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the Atlanteans and the rest of the crew get these flying fish vehicles to stop Rourke uh, from leaving. And a, uh, you know, a cool big old fight ensues. Um, and then this is where Rourke really shows his colors as a jerk because. Rourke and, and uh, crystallized Kida and the blonde woman are all in this uh, kind of fire. Her, I believe the cool one. What's it called? Her name is her name is Helga Sinclair. Thank you, Helga. Yeah. So they're all like in this 
hot air balloon thing to get out. And uh, but yeah, and he's just straight up like ah, Felicia, and he throws that poor girl off of the flipping air balloon. Yeah, because they have to. They're they're starting to sink, so she's literally like, well, we you know we have to drop some weight. And he's like, ladies first, and tries to throw her off. She she tries to fight him back, but then she goes to kick him, and he literally twists her ankle, man, and throws her down. I mean, pretty for a Disney movie, it's like, dang. <laughs> you know? So yeah, let's not even talk. So then Milo gets up to the balloon, and he gets a piece of glass. I guess that was touched by Kida's power, and he scratches Rourke, and Rourke turns into like a blue berserk Hulk. And probably yeah. gets one of the worst, probably gets one of the worst deaths in Disney cinematic history. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He, uh, yeah, he's now like a blue crystallized thing, chasing after Milo, and then the propellers of this balloon smash into him, and uh, he gets blown into little pieces. So, yeah, like he, like between him, probably the bad guy from Oliver and Company, and. <laughs> Who else got it really bad? Flipping uh, Clayton from Tarzan got it pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, pretty bad. Yeah, so it's yeah. just like, take your pick. Like, do you want to be ran over by a freight train, <laughs> mashed into a billion pieces by a propeller, or get yourself hung? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Disney so, for kids, right? Wait, wait, what, what made for kids? Yeah, for kids, but yeah. Yeah, so, but... Uh, Which we talked about this last time, but this uh, this movie is one of the very few Disney movies that are rate, that have a PG rating. And well, okay. probably because they literally have guns and people dying and stuff. Well, I will say, up to that point it was, I feel like now almost every Disney animated movie gets a PG, but I feel like that's almost more for those money purposes. No one wants to see a G-rated movie anymore. It's kind of sad. But I honestly, honestly I think about it, I think Tangled's PG, Moana's PG, uh, what else has come out? Uh, Onward, I think, was PG. I mean, so I think at that point is one of the few to get a PG, but uh, I think that's where the trend really starts to pick up, where almost every animated movie somehow gets a PG because of some brief action or something, you know? So... And I, I think I think not only I think there's a idea that kids these days can take that kind of more intense storytelling. True. Besides the fact, also there's a lot more adult jokes in in yeah. kids movies these days. True. Like it blew my it blew my mind when I first watched Cars, and I heard uh, Lightning McQueen say "hell," and I was like, "What the <laughs> hell?" Like he just said "hell" in a Disney movie. <laughs> Yeah. So, but um, anyway, that's what this so, movie needs. This movie needs a couple. They need Rourke to drop the f bomb right before he, I, right before the Leviathan no. breaks the submarine. You're like, ah, mother. We are not, uh, we are not making an Atlanta Disney animated movie PG thirteen to make a character say the f bomb. No, yeah. but um, but so, but oh yeah, so then happening is then this whole. Thing, this whole fight ends up setting off a um, kind of, I guess, a chain reaction because this whole thing is under under an uh, underwater volcano. Volcano, yeah, and it's about to blow. So now they go back to Atlantis to warn the Atlanteans to try to get safe, and this this river of lava is just about to overtake the entire city. 
But then that's where we see, similar to like the shields that, that, that protected the city in the first scene, we see them again, but more in full, as these giant statues come out of the water, really cool, to protect Atlantis, and the statues create this energy shield that protects it from the lava. And we find out that, if I remember correctly, that's kind of what the whole point of the crystal is, is when the land is in danger, it will choose somebody to like be its host and will then protect the city. And so it chose her mother, and then it chose Kita. Uh, but once once the threat is over, it gives Kita back. And uh, yeah. Which what does it say about about elitist uh, about cultural elitism? Because if you remember the beginning, one thing I forgot to comment on that's really messed up is you notice that shield, it doesn't go over the entire city of Atlantis. <laughs> and it literal there's a literal scene of people running to the 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 shield and the shield closing right in front of them. And then they're I'm banging not- on the shield. <laughs> so that. it's like, who is this shield really protecting? Is it protecting the Atlanteans or the upper class elitist, you know? No, that just there's my you know, bringing Western politics into it, but I'm just like, <laughs> wow, like, yeah, you're just going to protect the the upper citizens and the upper levels of the city. You're not going to protect the people in the farms or the rural areas of Atlantis. Yeah, screw them. <laughs> I, I guess Atlantis is democratic. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I, forgot, I totally forgot, though, that, yeah, I totally see the shield close in on people. I forgot about that. Whoops. Um, yeah, whoops. <laughs> Yeah, to protect our main character. So yay! <laughs> and then uh, yeah, we don't need those voters. We don't need those voters. That's how that's how uh, Leonard Nimoy stayed in power for thousands of years. <laughs> so at the at the end of the day, let's see. They protect uh, the, the, our our main characters are protected. The king does end up dying because freaking Lord punched him in the face. Uh, that's. That oh yeah, I forgot that too in this movie, an old man gets punched in the face, so that's interesting. Um Yeah, and he, well actually they cle- very cleverly cut away to Milo yeah. reacting. I was like, Ah, Disney, I see what <laughs> you're doing there. You wanna you wanna avoid that P V thirteen rating. <laughs> Seriously though. So and then the most of the crew ends up going back. Um, they're all rich now. And uh their story is that Rourke and Helga just went missing. So no one really is going to know the true story of this, so no one can go back to Atlantis to try to take it. In the meantime, uh, Milo stayed behind in Atlantis with Kida, who is now queen. And uh, that's, kind of, that's, that's the end of our movie. So, um, yeah. I I think overall... Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I think the animation was spectacular, both the CGI and pencil drawn stuff. Uh, I think the plot is super fun and super original. Um, I think the writing is just witty and and uh, like, not only the fun and adventurous, but the dialogue is very witty and very well done. Uh, the characterizations, I think, are fantastic. I mean, every character, you know who they are. You you you. There's no moment where it's like, who the heck is that guy, or how did they get here? I feel like, you know, the the arc of character improvement also is very good. Definitely not static, unlike Black Cauldron, which we talked about last time. 
So for me personally, I really enjoyed it. Um, and on my four-star scale, I would personally give it three. Um, for me, a movie not only has to be fun, but it has to be a compelling and move me forward to give it a three and a half or a four star realm. So that's why I don't give anything. Uh, I don't give it anything beyond that. Cause I, I, I don't consider it compelling. It's not game changing, but it's just a fun watch. Just a really fun watch. And unlike black cauldron, you can keep your brain on for this one <laughs> and still enjoy it. So that's my take on Atlantis. Yeah. I feel, I feel that Milo is just a very, He's he's almost a genuine, not I don't want to say perfect character, but he he's got nothing that he needs to change in the beginning. He's got the only thing he's got to prove, like the what he feels like he's got to prove has been like, gets proven in like the first like twenty minutes of the movie because what he's trying to prove is that his research and his efforts do matter, and then it turns out oh crap, like he was right all along, and he's gonna find the city of Atlantis. True. Although I do, then... go ahead. I say I do feel like while he doesn't have to change at least morally or as far as being a better person, we do see him get better on as far as courage. I think though, because he is kind of wimpy, he's kind of dorky, but he, you know, he's willing to do some pretty crazy things to do the right thing. Um, so I do think we see some some change in him that way. Yeah, I just I think maybe if he was coming across as more like like it's much more compelling when the other crew members change and go on Milo's side, but then it's like they're not our main characters. They're not the one that we're following. Yeah. They're just so they they almost have more of a compelling change than Milo does. And I think that's what I'm missing from it, and that's what I think just makes it just it, it's a pretty picture to watch. But the Atlantean culture is very, very bland. I think it's very your basic, you know, mixture of normal cultures that you would see. I think it's very interesting that they do have, like, I like the fish motif, like their vehicles and stuff. I thought that was very creative. But I think if if the thing that kept coming to me was, like, if you just changed their color scheme from blue to, like, a purple and red, they would be no different than the Aztecs in Road to El Dorado, which is not even a Disney movie. You know, like, that's how similar those two cultures of lost civilization seemed. Like, it just, mm. there needs, to, I, I thought there could have been more creativity, more technology. Like, I really enjoy, like, especially with Leonard Nimoy's character, of like, the painting and stuff. I thought if it, like, glowed, that would have been, like, very visually striking of, like, these people aren't just normal like Earth people, but they're all, they're almost like otherworldly. I would have enjoyed yeah. that a little bit better in the design. That makes I'll give you that 100. percent the the cult the Atlantean culture itself is is, is bland. It's, it's it's blandly done. Um, yeah, that that's fair. That's very fair. I think. Yeah, I, I just think I think yeah. it's tied too much into the reality of culture that exist. And I think with movies like El Dorado, you can get away from it because you're not trying to create a new culture. You are just basing it off of a culture that exists, but you're making it more colorful and unique, which is the same thing that like Moana does and Pocahontas tried to do but failed. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I think overall, though, overall, it's one that I think much older kids are going to like. 
But I and I so I think well, at least with my kid, I'm gonna wait a few years before I show this, so he could just really appreciate it rather than seeing a bunch of action and then a bunch of slow parts of character of Please. slow of small character development. So I give I give Atlantis I'd say two out of five Atlantean crystals. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, I, I'm giving it about, about the same. Not the, yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it. I think it's got a different beauty than Black Cauldron did. Black Cauldron, I just really appreciated the art. I think this is almost the same, only this had way better action in Black Cauldron. See, and for me, like I, I feel I, I agree with you on the cultural part of it. That just the, the Atlantean culture is kind of bland. Aside from that, I think. I feel like this is levels above Black Cauldron, um, both in its art and in its characters and in its writing. Um, you know, were the and the only thing I think I would give Black Cauldron over this movie was like I think when they do the steampunk, it is so good. They got that to a T. Like the balloon looks amazing when they have those little personal airplanes that they have shooting off of the the car you know, at the end, that is like, they, if they just brought up the steampunk and just kind of, if they brought up more steampunk, it would have been okay that Atlantis itself wasn't that impressive. At least to me personally. Fair. Um, Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah. But yeah, I think overall that's my take on Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Um, that's such a cool title. I didn't throw it out there, too. We all either call it Atlantis, which makes sense, it's shortened. But the full title is pretty sweet to someone out there. Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Like, so cool. Um, I just yeah, wonder why yeah. this movie underperformed. Because, like, so this movie had a budget of $120 million. No, no, it made a budget. No, never mind. Yeah, it was $120 million, and it only made... 186 million. Yeah, I don't know. I, the no. only thing I can think of, let me double check here. I know it came out the same summer as Shrek. Um, Two months after, wonder, after Shrek. Oh, the month after Shrek? Oh, yeah, Shrek was April. Yep. And it came out the same know. time as the first Fast and the Furious, and it opened the same day as Laura Croft Tomb Raider. Huh. So, like, I really wonder. I wonder if Shrek really buried this movie. And that's why not very many people went out and I wouldn't be surprised. Here's the thing is, you know, Shrek came out in April of that year. But Shrek, I think, you know, whether or not we agree that it should have been or we like it or don't like it, I think Shrek was one of those movies that I think was um, groundbreaking for its time. Groundbreaking just in the sense that – groundbreaking not the right word. That's too dramatic. But – it was, it was very it's extremely successful. I think it took everyone off guard by how successful it was. So I wouldn't be surprised if one of those movies that just even two months later is was still just garnering people wanting to see it. Um, I think it Atlantis. just I think I think Atlantis didn't have enough for adult and older audiences, and that's why I think how Shrek I think I think Shrek showed the Disney company that there's a market for that that you have to put in elements of adult humor. Because yeah. I don't know about you, but I watched Shrek as a kid, and I thought it was a kid's movie. And now I watch Shrek as an adult, huh. and I'm just like, wow, this movie is pretty adult. Yeah, Marina and I both said that. Like, it's pretty cra- pretty crude for a kid's film. 
And I think, yeah, that's a good point. I think Shrek kind of introduces new things to the market, both adult humor as well as Shrek, I think, brought I, – I feel like Shrek was the first time that major voice actors were part of the marketing scheme. Disney's always used good voice actors, you know, the David Ogden Steers or Mel Gibson and Pocahontas or, you know, whomever. But that, that's never been one of their, their things where it's like Walt Disney Pictures presents, you know, Mel Gibson, Pocahontas. But I think Shrek kind of switched that because that was part of Shrek's marketing scheme. Is it, you know, DreamWorks presents, you know, Mike Myers, Cameron Diaz, Eddie Murphy, and John Lithgow, Shrek. So it just, it, I think it, it broadened an audience that had never been brought into the animation world before. Um, and uh, yeah, and so now thinking about it, I'll bet that's what killed Atlantis, which is too bad because I think Atlantis is such a great film. Uh, it's in that underrated realm of Disney post-Renaissance Disney, um, but still so good, so. So, yeah, so really good. I think this one and Treasure Planet also, always really special to me. Tre- Treasure Planet, I think, oh, is yeah. a gorgeous film. I think I think that one suffers from a big tone problem, which when we get to Treasure Planet, we can talk about that. Yeah. I think our next episode, though, I'm going to try to persuade persuade you to we're going to do an I, I want to do an older one I, I, think, I think we've been I'm, getting a lot of the the not super new but like the ones that are under the rug but I think we should hit a classic next just to really get the ball rolling yeah we, we've hit kind of the underrated you know post Walt Disney realm and I think yeah I want to like get pod- Walt Disney classic yeah just like this podcast under underrated post post Disney realm <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. Yep. Well. Yeah. So, Atlantis: The Lost Empire is a great watch. I highly recommend it for everybody. And uh, keep okay. keep a uh, for our audiences if if and when you're watching, just keep an eye out. Uh, we're hoping to post a get a Facebook going and maybe a Twitter, mm-hmm. and so we can post updates. And my computer is currently down it's at my computer guy right now so hopefully we'll get a lot more fancier as we go and maybe some better sound quality and stuff and and pictures and whatnot to go with our episodes but otherwise parker it's been a it's been a blast recording with you as always same same with you and i look forward to our next session we discuss a true disney classic so yep okay ladies and gentlemen have a great day all right